Good morning. Thank you all for coming to church today. We're going to worship. Let's stand together. Lord, thank you for your grace, your mercy toward us. Thank you for just the protection you give each one of us. We ask that you would would be praised and honored here this morning. We ask you to fill us with your spirit. Lord, we just dedicate this time to worship you. Worthy is the king who conquers the grave 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquers the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquers the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross.
Jacob, whose love endures through generations. I know that you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the ocean. to do the same thing for me, for me, for me.
faithfulness, Lord, that that is the strongest. You're the, you're the rock of the ages, Lord. You're the thing that we can depend on no matter what's happening around us, no matter what's going on in our world, no matter what's happening in our lives. Jesus, you're the rock of the ages, Lord, the one that people have been trusting in for thousands of years, Lord. You are the one that we trust in today. You're the one that makes this church happen. Um, Jesus, you are the one that's always faithful, Lord. So I just pray that faith would rise up in our church this morning, that we would not be people who are uh, taken by the emotions of our lives, but Lord, that we would stand on the faithfulness um, of generations, Lord. And we just ask that uh, no matter what situations are happening in people's lives today, Lord, that you would show yourselves, yourself faithful now, Lord. And we trust that you will. We trust that you will, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, welcome. Welcome to church. You can sit down if you'd like. Um, thank you all for being here. It's great to have you here. Um, if you are new here, we just want to uh, welcome you and let you know that we've got an info center at the back. Uh, they'd be happy to answer any questions that you, ha that you have. We've got bathrooms behind us, water there as well, and coffee and tea out on the courtyard there. So um, feel free to do any of those things. Uh, we also, coming up, we've got a beach baptism next Sunday. It's going to be awesome. Um, are you guys, you guys are excited about that? I hope, yes, it's good. so good. So um, I shared this a couple weeks ago, but uh, last time we had a beach baptism, we had a couple hundred people out there. We baptized a bunch of people. We baptized someone who was just walking by. It was a really powerful experience. So please uh, join us for that. We're going to be at the end of Grand. It's, it's at five o'clock. It's going to be awesome. Um, it's a great time. Such a good time of just fellowship. We're going to have hot dogs out there, food, uh, all the good stuff. So join us. Um, and this year, we're going to have mustard. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah, last year, we ran out of all the mustard really early. And so all we had was mayonnaise left. Um, so if you're a big mayonnaise person on your hot dog, um, we probably will still have mayonnaise. But it'll, you know, we've got mustard. So I'm a big mustard person. Um, anyway. It's going to be really awesome. The highlights baptisms, though. Mustard's kind of down here. But anyway. Um, yeah, so also we've got Lifeline Pregnancy Center Banquet going on. Uh, it's, it's going to be a great opportunity to bless Lifeline. Um, so if you want to be a part of this, uh, they're selling uh, tables to be at the banquet. So they're tables of 10. And the goal for this is that you'll buy a table, come bring 10 friends that are up for donating towards what Lifeline's doing. Um, they're doing amazing things in our community. They've got some really exciting updates that they're going to announce at the banquet. And um, they've got a uh, special guest speaker who's coming in. It's uh, actually Tim Tebow's mom. Um, she's going to be sharing her some of her story, and uh, she's just, it's very powerful. So you want to be there for that, uh, I would go back to the info center, and Terry Bruner will be there uh, to answer any of your questions. Uh, and then just as a reminder, if you weren't here last week, um, we just uh, announced a staff update that's going on. Um, Ron and Christy are both retiring. Um, so uh, we're going to be sending them out and blessing them next week uh, and praying over them. So we're excited to do that. 
Uh, also, if you have youth, they're going to be in service today um, because Jeremy, our youth and family pastor, is preaching this morning. It's going to be awesome. So with that, uh, get up and meet somebody you've never met before. Uh, and yeah, we'll be back in a minute. Good morning, everyone. I just get ignored. It's okay. Ooh, it got quiet. In the new, in this new sanctuary, I, I've done a few announcements, but I haven't preached in this new sanctuary. Man, it's it's a lot more eyeballs. It's a little more nerve wracking. I told you as a kid, if I knew that public speaking was going to be my career, I would have probably ran away from my life. I, I still get anxious and nervous and timid, so let's pray right now. Pray for God's spirit. Pray for uh, God to use my voice as, as we open up the book of James. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given me. But Lord, more, more than that, I want to glorify you with these words. Lord, as we open up James and expound on these things that he, he speaks of, Lord, will you bring your understanding, your wisdom to us this morning, your, your wisdom that comes from above, Lord, not the earthly, sensual wisdom, but the wisdom that is from above, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Jeremy. I am the, I'm the youth and family pastor here at Harvest Church. So good to be with you. We're going to be opening up James 5 today. Uh, we're going to be studying James' final words uh, to sinners and saints. To sinners and saints. Uh, 
Um, to get a little context of James, I just want to remind us of when the book of James was written. Uh, James was written, actually, was the first of the New Testament books to be written. It was written in approximately 45 A.D. And so James now is writing to a very Jewish audience. He, he addresses that in James 1. He's writing to the brethren, that are the 12 tribes that are scattered throughout. You see, the Jerusalem council wasn't for another three years in, in, in which they decided what to do with these Gentiles that are converting to, to Christianity, that are coming under the Jewish Messiah. And so it's very much written in a Jewish style that the Jews would understand. It addresses the culture that's around them. I get to brag a little about our youth group. I, I, I love our youth group. Um, I, I have a number of students that want to dig even deeper than what we do on a Wednesday or a Sunday morning. And so we call this group the core group. So every other week, we meet with this core group and we study different books. We've, gotten, we've gone through uh, A.W. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy, where he takes different attributes of God and just expands those into who God is. And it's, it was an incredible book, and it was incredible to, to see the students discuss this book. They have to come prepared to discuss. They've read the chapters ahead of time, and they come to discuss these different characters and attributes of God. Then we went through a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and it was an amazing book, it's just looking and breaking up uh, what Psalm 23 it is and how that applies to our, our life. It was just a, an amazing time. Well, currently we're going through a book called The Forgotten Jesus, and it's by Robbie uh, uh, Gallaty. And before that sounds, you know, before you think that I'm a heretic about forgotten Jesus, it's actually how Western Christians should view or follow an Eastern rabbi. And it's bringing out all these things about the, the Hebrew Bible and how Jews think, and, 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 and it's making the Bible just open up. There's so many things as Western Christians that Jesus says that just go way above our head. But as a, as a Jewish person would have extent, understood exactly what Jesus was saying, and I'm going to talk about that as we go through the book of James. But then exciting, I, 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 I'm wearing a t-shirt. I don't know, some churches, you know, you have to wear a, a very a suit and all that stuff. Some shirts are very, the pastor wears a tie. But I'm wearing a t-shirt today because I'm, we're, we had announced this week that our youth group is being rebranded. We're calling ourselves the Young Heirs. And I'm pumped. All right. We have a good friend, a good person at our church who's helped us rebrand. He listened to Carson and I and our, all, all about our youth group, and he came up with this branding of a young heirs. And young because young but not dumb. Young but not reckless. Young because we, the youth need to know that they have an inheritance. Youth, the youth need to know that the, that the, better, the best is yet to come. And so we, as, as Romans 8, 17 says, we are children of God. That means we're heir of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. And that is an inheritance that we will get. And if Christ suffered, then the, this, the, Romans 8, 17, that we must also suffer ourselves. And so I, I, I'm glad that these students are being called up into something because we're not trying to push them down. We're calling them into something greater. We're putting the cookies on the top shelf, making them reach for them, all right? So young heirs, um, it's, it's been an exciting journey to be a part of the youth group here as, 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 as we watched it grow. Now, let's get into James 5. And if you have your Bible, open up there, please. We're going to address the sinners and the fat of heart. That's who James addresses first in this section. The sinners and the fattened of heart. 
Now, once again, I want to look at the context of James as a whole. Fifteen times James uses the word brethren. In this section, he's not going to use brethren as we look at verse 1. Let's read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll break it down. James says, Come now, rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which, kept back, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out and the cries of the reaper, reapers have, uh, the, have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in the pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Now I want to say that I don't believe this section applies directly to us, but I'm going to show you how indirectly it, it, it might. See, now James is addressing, he doesn't use the word brethren in this passage. And the reason why I prefer the New King James Version is because sometimes words are added to help us understand the, the original language. So in that section, that first verse, it says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl. The original text does not include the word you. He says, Come now, rich, weep and howl. And so I believe as James is writing this, he's not addressing somebody in his church. He's addressing the broader context, the, the, those around, those rich people that are now oppressing the people in John, James' congregation, who James is, is writing this letter to. So come now, rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. He's going to talk about their wealth, their wealth is being stored up, but yet there's misery that's coming upon them. If we look at the context of James, and we go back to verses, uh, verse 3.15, he's talking about this wisdom. He's talking about the different wisdoms, the wisdom that comes from above and the wisdom that comes from below. And this wisdom that comes from below, it says it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. It's it's. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's bitter envy and it's self-seeking. That's the wisdom that comes from below. And that's the wealthy people. They're, they're seeking to fulfill their own pleasures and their own wealth and store it up. So he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for miseries that are come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Wealth was always used with how much wealth you have stored up as well as the clothes that you wear. Garments were an important thing. You can think of Joseph and the, the, his coat of many colors. That was, in a way, showing that this young boy, brother, was going to get a double portion. He was going to get a larger inheritance than over his brothers. He was being um, put as almost as if he was the firstborn son. And that, that coat that he wore was showed to his brothers that his father valued him more than the others. In verse 2, it says, your riches are corrupted. And that word, if you dig down into the Greek, that word could also be translated putrefied. It stinks. So I went to UCSB, and... Um, Every year at UCSB, you always want to seek to live in a better house, in a better place. You start out by living in the dorms first year, then you get a, a house you know, somewhere else, and, and, and you want to finally end up on, on Del Playa. That's like the, the beach party street, uh, and there's a, there's a party side, and then there's like a surfer side, all right? And each year, you try to move up in your status. Well, my senior year, I had the opportunity to live on uh, Del Playa, 
and it was at the Surfside. It was down by Devereaux, but down by Sands Beach. Love that place. And in this house, it was, it was a house that had six rooms, and there was nine Christian guys that lived in it. And I loved, that was one of my best places I've lived. Nine Christian guys, we, we were all surfers. We'd wake up some mornings, do, look at the surf outside our window. Do we want to surf? We want to go to class. It was always a difficult choice. But having nine guys in a house, you don't just use one refrigerator. So we had three refrigerators. And let me tell you, the amount of times I found science experiments growing in the back of those refrigerators, the food was putrefying. It was not edible because it was not eaten because you took your dinner, your leftovers, you put them in, the, in one of the fridges, and then you forgot what fridge you put it in. And then five months later, you open it up and you're like, wow, there's a really fuzzy thing in the back of the fridge. And we also only had one trash can, but it was one of those big outdoor trash cans. And the rule was that um, the last person to put something on it where it fell off had to take out the trash. So the trash can would be get full, and then you'd be get to do this like origami where like, you, you're not going to be the guy. So you've got this big old pile, and oh, no, it, it fell off, so you had to be the guy to take it out. But by the time it reached the top, the food at the bottom was stinked. It was putrefying. It, was, it had a smell. And that's the riches that these wealthy people had. It was corrupted. It was rotten. And their garments, the sign of their wealth, was being moth-eaten. Verse 3 says, the gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. That's strange because gold and silver don't rust. They don't corrode. So what is James saying? Is James inaccurate? No, he's, he's saying that the, the, the gold and silver that you've stored up have begun to corrode your own heart. You begin to trust in those things and not trust in God. And their corrosion, or other words, their poison, will be a witness against you. It's, 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 it's holding up so much wealth that you're hurting others, and you're just sitting on it. You're just sitting on it. It's beginning to rot and putrefy. And it says, you have heaped up treasures in the last days. Remember, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be, in Matthew chapter 6. And so these wealthy, these wealthy, rich people had done these things. But how have they done it? It says this is how they've done it. They did it by opposing what Jesus had taught. Verse 4 says, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, uh, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of harvest. The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, you kept back by fraud. So you didn't give, he's, and once again, James is speaking of these rich people. They are accumulating wealth by defrauding and hurting, hurting others. In high school, I had the opportunity for about six months to live in the Philippines with my family. And we, had a, we rented a house from a, a, a woman named Chuchi. And Chuchi was our landlord, and, and Chuchi paid to have the, 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 the landscape, you know, uh, kept up. And I remember one day she said, hey, the, 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 they're going to come and mow the front grass. I'm like, okay, somebody's going to bring a push mower. And the grass was pretty small. It was about 10 by 15 feet. It was a little front yard. And the, the landscaper came, and he brought scissors, like utility scissors. Chuchi had filled the house with really nice things. She was so proud of her beautiful cabinets that she had shipped from the United States. She, she could tell you all the things and, and the, that, that she had in the house, but then how she paid her people, 
showed where her heart was. This guy showed up with utility, like what we might cut paper with. And he was out there for hours in the sun, and his wages were very, very low. He was defrauded of what he was earned. And he, I remember just watching and going, like heartbreaking. What? This guy will never be able to climb any ladder. I mean, how could you, how could you provide for your family using scissors to, to cut the grass, to mow the fields? And it says, these things how, which you've kept back by fraud, they cry out. Remember the first time that something's cried out was the blood of Abel when he was murdered by his brother Cain. They cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. That's important to know because God cares about justice. He cares about those who have been defrauded. Over and over again in the Bible, you see, don't move the ancient landmark. Don't defraud others by taking away land. Watch out for the widows. Watch out for the orphans. You've, 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 don't harm them because God, our Heavenly Father, is watching and there will be justice. He says you're, they're, they're, these cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. He says you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury and you have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. That's where I got the they're fattening of the hearts. They only cared about how they were doing and not how others. As in the day of slaughter, you have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Now, we could, from, a, from a reading of this in, in, in James 2, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse 5, we could, we could easily make the assumption that rich means bad and that poor is good. Right? We can, we can kind of see that. Huh? Maybe James is saying that rich is bad, but poor means good. But you need to step back and look at the Bible and what the Bible as a whole says about wealth. God uses the wealthy. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob were, were the wealthiest in the region. The book of Job is, says that Job was richer than anyone around him. We have men like Joseph of Arimathea who had, who had money and power and he was able to go and go directly into Pilate. He didn't have to wait in line to visit Pilate. He went straight in and asked for the body of Jesus and then he had a brand new tomb that was hewn out of rock with which they, where they laid the body of Jesus. He was a wealthy man. So God uses wealth. But it's the misuse of money that is bad. 1 Timothy 6.10 makes it, he says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Not money isn't the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Now, it's easy to read this and say, well, richer everyone else, we're the, you know, I'm the poor person. But if you looked at the world's riches and, the, and, and where the money goes, Monaco somehow is at number one. And, and the average salary in Monaco is $186,000 a year. And down at the bottom, number 58, is Afghanistan, where they make $500 a year. Can you imagine trying to survive on $500 a year? Well, U.S. in that list is about number seven. So there's 60, or there's 51 countries that are under us as far as the wealth of the world. We have to be careful about the, the, how we use our money. Although we don't, and this is how I believe this passage applies indirectly to us, we have to be careful with how we use our money. So I don't have people mowing my field. 
but how am I defrauding others? Well, I don't make my own clothes, so who makes my clothes? Who do I pay to make my clothes? And it's one of those things that I begin to look at is where, where, do my, where are my money going? Where, what is it supporting? And I look at things like the fast fashion industry where like companies like H&M have 24 different um, styles a year that they put out. And all that comes at a cost. Cheap clothes comes at a, at, at a cost for someone. And often it's the person whose face you never see who's working in a factory whether they want to or not, and it's an adult or children that are putting out these things that, are, that make it easier for us to go to a, sh- a store and buy a shirt for $12. The cost comes somewhere. And I just wonder how God is hearing the cries of those kids stuck in the factory overseas that are serving us by the things that we purchase and we buy. And it's, but it's, I mean, it's really hard. It's really hard to look and figure out like ethical ways to buy clothes. And man, an ethical pair of pants that, that you know they were paid right, it, it, there's a cost to it. But I think that it's one of those things that we should consider. Are we defrauding others by how we live? We are a rich nation. And once again, it's not the love of money that's the root of all evil. It's the misuse of money that de- that's bad that deprives others. It's a way to look at your ri- riches that hurts or robs others. Like Jesus said, where your heart is, where your, where, where your money is, that's where your heart is, right? Wealth is a spiritual handicap. We read of that in Luke 18. If you, real, if you have your Bible with you, turn real quickly to Luke 18. In Luke 18, we have Jesus counseling the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus be, then begins to have a conversation with him and points him back to the, the Ten Commandments. And, and the, the, the man's like, I, I've done all these since my youth. What, what else do I need to do? And Jesus said, well, he, when he heard these things, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. It says, and when, Jesus, uh, and when he heard this, he became very sorrowful because he was very rich. He wasn't willing to let his riches go. He trusted too much in his riches to then to trust in Jesus. And when Jesus saw, verse 24, when Jesus saw that he had become very sorrowful, he said, how hard is it for those who have the riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? They hear these words of Jesus. They're like, who's saved then, Jesus? He says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. We have to be careful that we, as the New Testament church, are very generous with our giving. That we don't, as we look into the things that are going on around our world with inflation and cost of things, there's the tendency to hoard, there's a tendency to keep, keep, keep. Well, I don't know what things I'm facing, and so we want to hold on to it. We want to trust in those wealth. We want to trust in, as Jesus put it, the mammon. Mammon's a funny word, right, from uh, uh, Matthew's chapter 6. And it's literally, there's no word for it in the English. It's an Aramaic word that they just took from Aramaic and put straight into our English Bibles, mammon. And the thought is that mammon 
is wealth personified. It's that which is trusted in. So are you trusting in your bank account? Are you trusting in the things that you have, your, your gold and silver? Or are you trusting in the living God? There's so many things on the horizon that make me terrified. And I think, man, I wish I had a little bit more money in my account. Or I wish I had this or I wish I had that. But we have to realize that it's God who's promised to carry us through this. We trust in a living God. Let's go to the next few verses, chapter, verse, starting verse 7. James is now going to address the saints. Now he's going to bring back the brethren. Now he's going to address his people, his flock, his church. Verse 7 says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See, he's addressing his audience in light of the oppression that's happened around them. He's now going to talk to his people. So therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how a farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it, for it until it receives the early and later rain. He's, a, he's now addressing them because of the oppression that's happened around them, the injustices. And he's going to give examples of how to patiently wait. Because the patience is you've got to wait for the coming of the Lord. God will bring the justice. That is always the promise of the Bible. It's God who, who, who will bring his justice. We look at the world and we think, how can all these injustices be made wrong? You know, Hitler got an easy way out for all the evil that he did in the world. He just took his life and that, that ended everything. So where's the justice in, in, in his, for his life of the damage that he caused, the hurt? Well, so the Bible says there, justice will be found. He will have a judgment awaiting for him. So be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and later rate. This farmer is amazing because the farmer simply takes a seed. And this was a time before, you know, drip irrigation and sprinklers and all that stuff. And the farmer simply took his seed and he placed in the ground as an act of faith, burying that thing, and hoping for an increase, hoping that the rains would come in the right time. The early was the fall rain, and the later rain was the spring rain, waiting for the God to send the rain that his crop might grow. And that's as Christians we're supposed to do. We, we send our wealth forward, right? Our treasures are supposed to be in heaven, not here on the earth. Our seed gets planted where we can't see it. He says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, what I want to do really, really quickly is, is to bring us to a little bit of understanding of the Jewish thought. Jewish thought was very dynamic. We as Westerns, we have a Western way of thinking, and the Jews had an Eastern way of thinking. Our way of thinking is very abstract, like I said, we read, we read the book of, by A.W. Tozer called Knowledge of the Holy, where it takes different attributes of God and it separates it. It divides it. It makes a list. And that makes sense to our, our heads. The Jewish way of thinking was it does, it's very dynamic. It doesn't, it doesn't do that. An example would be if, if an, an abstract thinker and a dynamic thinker were, were brought into a room, into a science room. 
And they were said, and they were both given a frog and said, hey, tell me about the frog. Explain the frog. Well, the abstract thinker would, would take this frog and he might measure it and weigh it. And then it might take a scalpel to it. And well, the lungs are this big and this and, and begin to break it down that way. We want to understand the frog. Well, let's take it apart. Let's figure it out. Where the dynamic thinker, the, Jew, the Jewish mind, might look at this frog and, say, and take a step back and say, well, what type of environment does this frog want to live in? What is its mating habits? What does it do? What does it eat? And it begins to look at it in a very different way. What does this frog do? And that's why in the Jewish understanding, and that's why the Old Testament, it, it's, there's so many examples. Because the Jewish mind wants to less understand of what God is like as far as the attributes. The Jewish mind wants to understand what does God do? And if we understand what God does, then we can example, we can model what God does by doing what he does. It's a very different way of thinking. So that's why James now is going to give these four examples. He could give the farmer, he gives an example of the farmer of what that culture would know what's happened around him. They would have all seen seeds being planted in the field. They would have all known of the early and the later rains. And now he's going to give uh, the example of the prophet's. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand, verse 8. Verse 9 says, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. And that is something that needs to mark the church, that we're not grumbling against each other. Pastor Steve's addressed this very well in the past few weeks. Is if you have an issue, if there's something that's bothering you, go and speak to that person. Don't go and talk to everyone else. Go and directly to that person. Do not grumble against one another, brethren. He's addressing this church. Lest you be condemned, behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. So now James is going to use the, the Jewish, the dynamic thought of, of showing us an example of someone who, or people who did that example exactly, who waited patiently for the Lord, who has had established hearts. There was the prophets the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Verse 11 says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endured. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. It's interesting that the best Old Testament commentary is found right here in the New Testament. James is now giving a commentary on what he, his understanding of the book of Job was. It's very different than ours. The book, his understanding, the Jewish understanding of the book of Job was that God, it says right here, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. If you know anything about this, the story of Job, I don't, I don't read that. Or I, that's at least not the way I see it. But he was. God was very compassionate and merciful. God didn't have to restore Job. God didn't have to do all those things. We have an outside appearance because we see, we see everything that happened. And we see the conversation between God and Satan. We see what happened behind the scenes. We see how Satan was allowed to take everything from Job. Strange enough, he didn't take Job's wife. Because she told Job later to, you know, curse God and die. I think Satan's like, well, I don't need to take her out of the scene. She's, she's on my side. 
But yet the end of the story, Job is restored, and the, the whole point of the story, according to James, is that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. God, he didn't have to do that. And this is strange, because verse 12, look at verse 12. This is, this is an awkward transition, or a transition for me, and I've wrestled with this one all week. So he's talking about Job, the intended by the Lord, and then he gets to verse 12 and he says, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Like I, that, that was a harsh transition for me. He goes from talking about, uh, you know, the, the example of the farmer, then he talks about the prophets, then he talks about Job, and all of a sudden he goes, boom, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't swear. So as I started studying, I started th- gripping with this. First, we start with the example of the farmer. And that was a modern-day example. That was what they would have understood. Then we get to, the, he mentions the prophets. Then he mentions Job. And now he's doing this. Well, I believe what James is doing is called a kesher. It's called a kesher. It's a Hebrew word for connection. So what he's doing is he's providing a hyperlink. You know, a hyperlink is when you're on the computer and you, and you see like something that's uh, highlighted in blue, maybe underlined, and you, you scroll your mouse over to it, and it shows you another link. It shows you somewhere else that you can g- be taken. It's a connection. A kesher in the Hebrew is a connection. And it, what it's doing, it's like it's reminding you of, of other things. So if I were to say, "'Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house, Amazing. Amazing. That's a Kesher. That's a connection. I can say a few words, and then you all remember, and you're like, oh, Christmas. Christmas is coming way too soon. That's a a connection. And so the Hebrew mind, and and boys and and girls both started studying the, the Torah from the time they were very, very little. So Jesus or James could say a few words, and then their minds would remember all the things that that's connected to. That was very understanding to them. So what I believe James is doing here is he's actually referencing Jesus' reference back in Matthew 5. Turn there with me real fast. Matthew chapter 5. No Bibles? I love Bible. I, I tell the youth group every, every, every Wednesday night, I love to hear the Bible's turn. Love to hear the Bible's turn. Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verses 33. Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths of the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor the earth, for it is God's footstool. Nor by Jerusalem, for, the, for that is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, or make it grow. But, lest, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil word. If, sorry, for the evil one. So James is referencing Jesus right here, when he says, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. And Jesus is referencing the third commandment. The third commandment is from the book of Exodus, which is part of the law. So why am I saying that? Because this is the Jewish Old Testament. I don't know why, and I haven't researched exactly why or, or how, but our, our Old Testament is very much different than the Hebrew Old Testament. The Hebrew Old Testament is called the Tanakh. It's the Torah, 
which is the law, the first five books of the Bible. It's the prophets, the Nevim, and then it's the writings or the Ketuvim. And so, yeah, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be kind of scrolling up here, but so what James is doing in this passage as he addresses this church is he's saying, therefore, be my brethren. I'm going to give you an example of a farmer of what's happening around you. I'm going to give you an example from the prophets, the, the Nevim. I'm going to give you an example from Job, which is found in the writings in the Ketuvim. And then I'm going to give you an abstract or a, a Kesher that connects to the law. The law, the prophets, and the writings, they all point to this of to how to patiently endure until the day of the Lord. How to live practically the law and the prophets, the Tanakh. James was Jewish and he was addressing that Jewish audience. Does that make sense? All right. Let's go to prayer and the needs of others. Verse 13. He says, if, is anyone among you suffering? Once again, he's talking to his brethren. Um, any among you, brethren, suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone sick? Let him call to the elders of the church. And this has an Ecclesiastes feel, right? There's a, a time and a season for everything. There's some seasons in our life where we may be suffering. Well, God says, if you're suffering, then pray. Is anyone cheerful? Well, let him, if he's cheerful, let him sing psalms, maybe to encourage others. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let him call for the elders of the church. There's seasons for everything. So my dad would always say, he says, as I am now, you will be. And as you are now, I once was. It was always a reminder that I would probably go bald someday when I made fun of his head. And it's coming, to tr- it's coming true. It's a season for everything. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, plural, as in that not one of the elders might be said to have been the one who prayed the healing prayer, but elders as in a multitude. Elders of the church, and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up as if, and his hand, if he has committed sins he will be forgiven. It says, confess your fault or your trespass to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The word avail speaks of force, of strength, of power. And who is righteous? Well, none is righteous but the Lord. But we can be, by Jesus, in right standing before God because of what Jesus did. And when we have that right standing before God, we can have effective and fervent prayer. And once again, James is now going to give us an example of what that effective prayer does. What does prayer do? Well, this is what it does. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. What does prayer do? Prayer can hold back the rain. Once again, this is a commentary in the Old Testament because it doesn't say in the Old Testament how long the, prayer, the drought was for. It just simply said that Elijah, God told Elijah to pray to stop the rain. Elijah prayed and stopped the rain. And then 
He told him to go to Brook Cherith, where, where he hung out for a while. Then he went to the widow's house, and then he fought against the 400 of the prophets of Baal, where God sent down fire. And then at the end of that, then he's, he was told to pray for prayer. But that was a three-spirit period of three and a half years, which is interesting because it also says that in Rome, uh, Revelation 11, there's going to be two mysterious witnesses that are going to be given power over to stop the rain. And they'll have that power for three and a half years. It's interesting that two men showed up to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration was Moses and Elijah. But Elijah, it says, was a man with a nature like ours. What does that mean? It means he was just like us. And yet he was able to withhold the rain. He was able to hold drought. It's not the merit of a man, but the grace of God. Prayer should always mark the life of a believer. And finally, here we come to the, the, the place of what to do with those who haven't been patient or persevered. What do we do? What do, we do? How, how do we help those? And this is what we do. Verse 19. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him, let him know that he who turns a sinner back from error of the way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Jesus told the parable of the, the shepherd, the good shepherd that left the 99 to go and seek and save that one. We're called to bring back the error. Don't, don't gossip about them. Don't forget them. Keep them in your prayers. Keep reaching out. And the Lord will save a soul from death. It takes endurance to do that. It takes endurance to see someone who's fallen behind and to keep going after them and keep encouraging them. Years ago, I had the opportunity to, to climb Mount Shasta with, with a couple friends, Brent and Jamin, and, and decided to climb it in January. I don't know why, the middle of the winter. Got our ice axe, boots, crampons, all that stuff. We, we camped out at high camp the first night at 10,000 feet. Woke up the next morning, everything's all iced over. Put on our crampons, ice axe. We begin climbing Mount Shasta. All morning, we're looking at what we thought was the summit. Sun, sun finally came up. I could start to feel my toes again. That was, a, that was a glorious feeling. And all morning, we kept trekking up. About, about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, after starting at 4 a.m., we, we, we reached what we thought was the summit. Came over the rise, and only to be so disappointed because there stood before us Misery Hill. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Misery Hill is only 400 feet in elevation, but somehow, the, what, what the, the wind had messed with the snow and ice, and each step was about 18 inches. And I was like, there's no way I can do this. But with the encouragement of my two friends, because I had just gone from Santa Barbara, which is you know, elevation zero, up to, to you know, almost 14,000 feet. And I, my lungs were burning. I was like, I don't know how we do this. But step by step, we made it up Misery Hill. And I was like, okay, Misery Hill's the top. That's it. We're, we're good to go. We'll get up there. We'll be on the summit, take our pictures, and come down. We get to the top of Misery Hill, and there's about 300 yards and then another rise to the summit. And I looked at that, and at, I was just gassed. I was spent. I, I just fell back in the snow, and I laid there. 
And Brent and Jamie are like, come on, all right, we got to get this, we got to do this. I'm like, no, guys, you got to leave me. I, I, I can't do this. I cannot physically do this anymore. And lo and behold, they just kept, come on, Jeremy, you got, you, you, you're going you're gonna to regret this. Come on, come on, come on. And they kept encouraging me until finally they pulled me up, stood up, and we made it to the summit. But I would not have made it without the encouragement of those others. Had those others not said, come on, you can do this, I would not have made it. And so maybe it's just the endurance that some of us have that we're called to be that as encouragers to those around us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that you're so gracious to give us direction on, on how to use wealth and what to do with what, we, what you've entrusted us with, Lord. Not to put our trust in the things of this world, Lord, but we put our trust solely in you, God. Establish our hearts, Lord. Establish our hearts with the, what's, what's on the horizon, Lord. We don't know, but Lord, you do. And so, Lord, we look to you, Jesus. And Lord, if there's some around us who have wandered, Lord, who have strayed, who have erred, Lord, help us to know how to reach out to them, encourage them, Lord. Help us to know how to, 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 to lift them up, Lord. We look to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.
bless you today. May we bless someone else today. May we listen again in our minds what we learned today, the wonderful words that Jeremy spoke. May we apply that to our lives, and may we be a witness to others. Lord, please bless everyone as we leave, and we do have a prayer group up here for prayer. So when everyone says, amen.